On today's episode of Teaching in Higher Ed, number 213, Harold Jarkey discusses personal knowledge mastery. Produced by Innovate Learning, maximizing human potential. Hello, and welcome to this episode of Teaching in Higher Ed. I'm Bonnie Stahoviak, and this is the space where we explore the art and science of being more effective at facilitating learning. We also share ways to improve our productivity approaches so we can have more peace in our lives and be even more present for our students. If you've been a long, long time listener to the Teaching in Higher Ed podcast, you're already well aware of the earlier episodes around the topic of personal knowledge management, what today's guests calls personal knowledge mastery. It's an essential part of how I do life, how I do learning. And I'm so glad to have today's guest joining me. He is the expert on personal knowledge mastery, Harold Jarkey. He is focused on providing actionable insights for workplace learning. He works with individuals, organizations, and public policy influencers to develop practical ways to adapt to the technological, demographic, and societal changes that are facing us today. And Harold has been described as a keen subversive of the last century's management and educational models. His clients appreciate Harold for his extensive experience and network. His internationally renowned blog is a, quote, beacon of light in the dark landscape of organizational learning. And according to one longtime reader, Harold is one of the best thinkers out there on things related to learning and work. Harold helps to identify next practices around collaboration, knowledge sharing, and innovation in an increasingly complex networked world. As Harold says, work is learning and learning is the work. Harold Charkey, welcome to Teaching in Higher Ed. Thanks very much, Bonnie. It's a pleasure to be here. Today we are talking about what the first Google search for people might be personal knowledge management. You distinguish your model, and we'll describe this a little bit more later on, but as personal knowledge mastery. I wonder if we could start in the middle. Could you talk about knowledge? About knowledge. <laughs> um, I mean, it's the difference between, like, between information and or data, information and knowledge. It used to be this model, the DIKW model, right? Data, information, knowledge, wisdom. And the generic model was that each one built upon the other. And actually, I don't agree with that model. But uh, because actually, if you have data, you can't turn data into information unless you have the knowledge to understand the data. So knowledge becomes this sort of overarching human component of this taking information and sharing it and personalizing it and understanding things. So knowledge is what we are able to do with the stuff that we either know or what we see or what we interact with. So the knowledge is very much the human side of that thing is I don't know I don't think you I, I mean we can we, we can talk about knowledge bases and things like that but but for me knowledge is that a human sense making of experience and exposure and everything that's and messy interactions and feelings and culture and, and all those kinds of things and that's really what know knowledge is the the stuff that we use 
from which we take action, right? I use my knowledge to, you know, do whatever it is I'm going to, I'm to go to work to make a decision to do anything like that. But that's, that, that's, maybe it's not the, it's not a wonderful dictionary description of it, but it's kind of maybe a fuzzy place to start. Let's backtrack a little bit then. Why does this model focus on the personal when we might expect so much of knowledge as we traditionally think about it showing up in a workplace? Well, I mean, knowledge is, I think, two things. It's that it's personal and it's also social because none of us, you know, as John Dunn said, no man is an island. And that we are the the sum of our interactions, our experiences um, with with others. Uh, we are we are social beings, and we are uh, made up of social constructs. So definitely, is that uh, knowledge is is both of those things, personal and social. And and in my PKM framework, we talk about both those things. There's the stuff that you do, but then there's also the stuff that you're doing with others. And in mo- in a lot of cases, and and quite often, it's that that pendulum or that shift on the spectrum of some things you're doing very very personally, and then other things you're doing socially, and sometimes and then maybe you're some social interaction, you're reflecting back on that personally. So it's sort of that swinging between the personal and the social. As I've said about PKM, is that PKM in some ways is our individual responsibility of a social contract of being engaged citizens, engaged mm-hmm. members of communities. And that that's it's this, if we don't make sense ourselves, how can we help our communities, our societies, you know, get smarter, uh, do better things. I did just want to mention that most of the writing that I've seen on this is around the phrase personal knowledge management. But yes. you've really made an important distinguish. And I'd like to have you talk now for a while about management versus mastery. Right. So I called it personal knowledge management, uh, because it wasn't my idea. It wasn't my name. Again, I mentioned the three people, and particularly Lilia Afamova, who writes under Mathemogenic. Uh, she's now focused more on unschooling. Uh, she uh, uh, lives in uh, the Netherlands. And anyway, uh, Lilia was a great inspiration, was writing a lot about this back in the early 2000s. And she was looking particularly at knowledge management through blogging between researchers. And how that they were this sort of this um, th- thinking in, pro- in, in progress type thing, and so my, you know, really what I started writing about for myself on my blog was Lilia's got this wonderful stuff, and Denim Gray is talking about the same thing, and Dave Pollard's talking about that, and I just started, you know, learning out loud. I'm just sticking this stuff out there and saying, well, I think this is what I'm doing. And this is how I'm doing it and I'm putting it there. And it really was a very, very small part of my blogging, my consulting or anything like that. But what happened was over time is, and, and over quite a period of time. So I started writing about this in 2004. It was, would have been five, six years later, I think, before some people started picking up. My first client was Domino's Pizza that wanted to put the uh, PKM framework into their leadership program. And so I realized that, hey, maybe there's something here. I don't know, four or five years ago, the management mastery thing, one of the things that I wanted to do is I wanted to get away from knowledge management, the field itself, KM. And by, by, by just slapping a P on the KM, it made it look like it was part of the KM world. And I did not see, I still don't see PKM as part of KM. I have a different perspective on it, but really it's because it's a capital P. It's got to be personal. 
is that you, there's no one model. I've had tech companies contact me. We want to have a PKM technology. And I think, no, every single individual has to develop their own because if you don't develop your own practice, you're not going to continue with it. And then in discussions with practice, and I think it was inside one of my communities of practice, actually, we we're talking about it. And they said, you know, Harold, it's not management, it's mastery. I went, yeah, you're right. It is. And, and no one else is talking about it. So why don't you change it to personal knowledge mastery? And I said, yeah. And the more I use it, the more sense it makes to me because it's about a, a person mastering a discipline to which you are never, ever going to get to the end. Mm-hmm. It's like Zen. It's like any other type of a, a yoga, whatever, is that it is, is that you can always improve. You can always get better. There is no, okay, check, 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 check. I've got it. I'm finished. Off I go. So that's why the mastery thing, I think, because you see this as a lifelong journey and not just as a check mark or a, you know, a certificate and then away you go, which is another reason I don't give up certificates. You break personal knowledge mastery down into three parts. I'd like to explore each part with you now and then maybe hold off a little bit on talking about specific tools. And then at the end, we'll get really practical with what do you use? I can share what I use, but it's less about the tools, of course, and and far more about the practice. So talk about seek, and then we'll get to sense and share. So so what? how is seek part of PKM? Well, the, the, the seek part is really about looking out, is in seeking, and there's a number of different things you can seek. One is the, the big part is seeking diversity, is seeking diversity of opinion, seeking diversity of perspective, because we know that we we need to get other ways of, I mean, if we're dealing with complex problems, which is like, or complex situations, which most of us are, and most of us will be, is that we know the research is solid on that, is that it, in diversity is strength. So when I, when I talk to people about, uh, about the seeking part, is that, okay, let's, take, let's think about your professional social networks, is who are you connecting with? I run a series of questions. Okay, well, you know, who do you talk to if you have a complex, if you have a real problem, if you're going to make a career change or something like that? Who do you talk to? And let's take a look at those people and see who they are. And then, okay, let's, let's categorize them. And when it comes to diversity, there's no rule about, okay, I have to have 50% uh, women, 50% men, uh, you know, t- anything like that. However, diversity in general, we can say, you know, am I getting diverse perspectives or am I not? And if it's all middle-aged men uh, from, it, it, from my culture, well, is that a good thing or a bad thing? Is it, am I getting, uh, you know, am I getting gender diversity? Am I getting cultural diversity? Am I getting educational diversity? All those kinds of things. So I get people thinking about diversity because, and I, and I think the most important type of diversity is diversity of opinion. So my PKM skills become skills around where maybe I'm going to set up a temporary list or a temporary thread or something like that where I'm seeing this stuff. So I, I'm getting multiple perspectives and I'm going to get, you know, I'm going to get a, uh, you know, in Canada, you know, we've got about five parties and they get members from each of the five parties and then maybe some special interest groups who are talking about these kinds of things. And that's what I use to understand hydrofracturing because this was a big issue here mm. and I didn't know it and I'm not a physicist, I'm not, a, you know, or I'm not an environmental scientist and I wanted to really figure this stuff out. So I actually had this little, you know, this little research place where I was using different tools and I was getting as much information on hydrofracking as possible to try to make up my mind on, you know, the good, the bad, the ugly of uh, of that. So again, there. So because you know, you do this, you become a better curator. As a better curator, you, you be, hopefully become a better sense maker. The second component of PKM is 
sensing. What is sense and why is it such a vital part of the process? It's the toughest part. It's the part that's the, that, that is almost impossible to teach. When people understand sense-making, it's kind of like they get an, it's a, there's an aha moment and they finally go, that's what this is all about. Okay, <laughs> uh, now I get it. But it's not the kind of thing, and when I run the workshops, is that sometimes people get it at the beginning, some people never get it. Sense-making is how do you take this stuff and then how do you actually do something with it so it changes your opinion, your perspective, your behavior. And that's where the sense-making thing, you've got to do something, right? Doing could be writing a blog post, right? That's where you're forcing yourself to put the stuff together, to write it, and to stick it out there in public. Doing could be having a conversation, and uh, and it's good to do, or, or public speaking, because when you present the stuff publicly, you can be criticized publicly, so you do your homework, right? And it depends what it is. And one of the things uh, working with people is that everybody has a different way of doing their sense-making. There's a great example from Madeline Blair. And if you know her, she's written a number of books uh, so in this general area. Uh, Riding the Current was 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 one of her books. Madeline and I have talked have talked over the years, and she was talking about a person that she knows that at the end of the day they drive home, and what she does is that she talks to herself about what she saw and what she thought during the day. She actually thinks and learns out loud, like really out loud. She says, you know, people looking at her sometimes talking to herself in the car <laughs> think that she's a little crazy, but that's for her is the, is the sense-making thing. So, so part of PKM is, is helping people find a sense-making practice or practices that they will continue for a long period of time. And it, ta- and it takes a while. And you were going to talk about tools uh, later. Sometimes it's, it's trying new tools, trying them out, seeing if they work for you or they don't, discarding them, uh, trying something new. You know, that's part of the adventure too. Oh, let me try this out. I mean, Helen Blunden, a uh, friend of mine in, the, in Australia who's been doing Activate Learn is, is, is her company. She she's, uh, really pushes things out. And she's shown how you can use Snapchat for learning really, really well. Mm, that's um, amazing. And, yeah, yeah. So, uh, so yeah. So it's interesting. So I get you know, there's great inspiration from other people out there doing that. Uh, I'm laughing so hard because Snapchat is one of those tools that I have to pick up, you know, once a year or whatever, just to make myself feel ridiculous because I completely don't get it and I, I'm just so clumsy and and just never master it. But I'm like, I can make myself look like a hot dog on Snapchat, <laughs> and my kids just every time they ever saw that icon, they just they wanted to make themselves look like puppies or hot dogs. But I, you know. That's yeah. never been. I don't. The- <laughs> I don't get Snapchat either. You know, I, 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 you know, I'm of a, of a certain age, I guess that may, maybe I will or I don't. But I mean, and that's where you know Jay Cross. We talked about him, my friend, colleague, uh, who passed away a couple of years ago, um, and wrote the book on informal, the first book on informal learning, really. And uh, Jay was always one to try something new, try something different. You know, uh, mm. and I think that that's part of it. Is you get yourself out there. He, <laughs> we. Back in 2004, I think maybe 2005, we ran an online workshop. Uh, it was around. It was all. It was all about sense making using social media for in, for informal learning, and we had this worldwide audience, and uh, across 20 different time zones. And we smart guys that we were, right? Is that <laughs> we decided that because you have to know, you have to know the tools and you have to learn how to do this stuff. Is it we hosted the each weekly session on a different platform. Oh, wow. 
we had if we had one time we went through three platforms before we got things going we'll say oh this one's blown up on us here's the op- let's go to the next one let's go to the next one but what i learned doing that is that you again part of that whole notion of putting yourself out there i think that that's what and that's what a, a lot of adults and that's what our society our society has been all about get the right marks get the check mark graduate and move on ceos don't want to be shown as being stupid or ignorant or anything like that so they don't venture out on that because oh can't look bad and all those kind everything's got to be massaged and perfect and things like that and pkm is this messy thing that i mean i call my blog you know the place where i put my half-baked ideas Mm. you know and you can't bake an idea unless you get some half-baked ones first i think and that's part of the sense making too and the more you do this the better you get 15 years ago i was a really bad writer you know and now i write professionally it's kind of like, you know, the, God, I remember people telling me I should write a blog. What the, that stupid idea. Yeah, come on. No, no, you're right. You got, and finally, I had a friend of mine sat me down. He says, you're coming to my house for a beer and uh, I'm going to, I got my laptop here and I'm going to show you what this thing, and, and, and went through. And the same thing happened to me for Twitter when somebody said, you better get on Twitter. And, and, and with both of them is that. When I started, it was kind of like, okay, I'm doing it, writing this kind of stuff. And, you know, you look at my early blog posts and they're very, very short and there wasn't a bunch to it. And it isn't until after that you get that a year or two years, whatever, 15 years uh, there. And, 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 and then you realize that I have this treasure trove of like your, you, you have it for infertility. I have other ones, maybe not on the blog, but in other areas for student resources that I developed for, for our boys as they, as they were going through school, unschooling because we were seriously looking at unschooling our children. And so putting all those resources, all those curated things, and there was, a, and I've shared them over the years with, with other people. I had another one on uh, social media use policies, which for a while, a lot of people were going like, we, have, we need an official policy. So I started collecting and curating from all these different companies around the world and what they were doing. But yeah, you're right. It's that, yeah, you, you only see things in hindsight, right? I mean, it's the difference between um, you, you look at a complex adaptive system, right? And that, the, I mean, it, it, in a machine, right, something that's complicated, the relationship between cause and effect is is, is seeable, right? I can see if I do this, that happens. With a complex system, which all humans are, um, the relationship between cause and effect is only seen in retrospect. It's only after you've dealt with your teenager that you realize why things happen the way that they happen. The other thing is, is that they're not going to happen the same way the next time because this is a complex adaptive system. But over time, you start seeing patterns and putting these things together. So it's like a physical fitness program. It's like reading regularly. It's like you, you don't get the, the yeah the you don't get the lesson until quite a ways afterwards when you go oh yeah this is really good that's why it's again it's really really it's tough and it also it takes work the last part of the process is to share and can you mm-hmm. talk about this process and why it's important well the sharing part i think it is important for a number of different things whether it's in your work or whether it's with your family or your community or anything, or anything like that, is that one thing that I advise people to do is that whatever you do is that make it shareable, right? which is not quite the same as sharing, okay? Make it shareable. And then quite often uh, the, uh, another thing that I promote is add value to the knowledge, okay? So before sharing, one of the things I, I, I try to do on Twitter is that if, some, if, if there's an interesting link to an article, 
and someone just links the article, I go and I read through the article and I go, that's interesting is I'll, I'll, I'll quote something additional out of that article, which I think is sort of like a key thing. So now you have two pieces of information about that article as opposed to just one, or I'll add value to it in terms of, um, Hey, I think this is good for X, Y, and, and, and said type things. The other thing is, is that, you know, we, we talked about bookmarks is that, okay, that's interesting. But if I come to you and I say, look, I have this specific thing that I'm interested in. Okay. Well, what I can do is I can go into my social bookmarks. Let's say you have 500 in there, right? And you can search through and for the specific thing and you can go, yeah, that one, that one, that one, that one, that one. And you can add another tag. Okay. So this is for, this is for Mary Lou. You add Mary Lou onto the tag and you say, these are the five articles I think that would be the best for you. It hasn't taken you much extra time. Had you not done those 500, you wouldn't have that, that, that curated list on top of it, but you've added value because of the timing, right? You are sharing this when this person is open to accept them. So I think that part of the sharing too, is it doing it, you share when, where, why things are all together. In some cases, I know like when I share lessons learned, sometimes they come from work I've done several years ago because I didn't want to share anything that, that could be perhaps client confidential information. But you know, three, four years after the fact, it's no longer really confidential. I talk about it generally and now it's appropriate to share it. Yeah, I, I think that's really a helpful way I talked a little bit about a future orientation when it comes to sense making, mm-hmm. then there's this future orientation to sharing. I, I had not as much of your stuff as I had read, it hadn't stuck in my noggin about the making it shareable doesn't necessarily mean I have to share it right now, but just with thinking with that orientation that it could be shareable. That's nice. I was thinking the other day in the Slack channel for teaching in higher ed, someone said, I'm looking for contacts around accessibility because we're starting, we're really starting to figure out we have to get that doing better at our institution. Who has contacts? And I thought, well, you know, I don't really have contacts, but here's a link to all my bookmarks on on my bookmarking tool around accessibility. And then it was funny because throughout the day I realized, oh, actually, I do have contacts. And I found an, a list serve that I'm a member of. And I was like, oh, I had bookmarked these as possible guests because I don't know that I've done a good enough job on the podcast right. around accessibility. And so I was able to go back into Slack and say, not only do you have, could you surf through my bookmarks, which he said was really helpful, but I realized actually these potential guests that I had saved in another place, I have a, just a list just for, just for potential guests. You know, this might be helpful to you as well. So it's really, when we have these systems, I, this was my disparity of systems. You know, I've got potential guests and bookmarks and they hadn't quite mm-hmm. connected in this instance, but there's also the body of knowledge that is, you know, build, building up just in terms of my own brain and how it works through these connections. Yeah, I know. I like your um, uh, talking to your future self. I think that's a very good way of thinking about this is that, yeah, you're, well, it's like, you know, you're, it's like planting a garden. You're not going to harvest it (laughs) when you plant it, right? Yeah. And sometimes our, sometimes the raw in the moment things are beautiful to read from people. I mean, they, they are helping to change communities and change minds and change hearts. And sometimes the messiness of immediate reactions to things, that's not my forte and that, that's yeah. not where I want to start. So I, I like to sort of have things circle around a bit before I share. Well, well here's one, one sort of final thing on, on, on the sharing side of things is that we all have some expertise. We all have some knowledge or whatever. And I do leadership development. And one of the things I talk about is that leadership in the network era is helping make your network uh, smarter, stronger, mm-hmm. more resilient, able to make better decisions. And I take it back to, I don't want, I don't want to live in a network or a community that's dumb. 
because they're going to make decisions that I don't think are right. Right? Uh, it may be about where uh, you know we're we're going to put a you know a four lane highway through the middle of our small town, right? Because we want people to go much faster or something like that, right? Well, I want people to be able to make decisions uh, about you know of the impacts of that. So me sharing and you know putting things together and sharing models and ways of looking at things are ways in which I hope that I can help make my network make better decisions. Mm -hmm. So if you think about that from a democratic perspective, is that isn't that what we all should be doing so that we collectively are making better decisions for our society? Let's talk about tools. And just for the audience listening, I wanted to mention that I will be linking to all the tools that Harold shares. And we were not we will not be doing a how to however, but if I have tutorials, I will link to them to ones that I have if they've been particularly helpful to me. So we're just going to rattle off some tools and then uh, get to the recommendation segment. So what tools do you find particularly helpful in seeking? Yeah, uh, so again, I'm very tool agnostic. I actually don't use that many tools. I do mm -hmm. try a lot of different different ones out there. So you know, my General tools, for the most part, haven't ha haven't changed a lot. So I use an aggregator, right? I use a feed reader uh, because that's a good way to uh, read a whole bunch of different things. That I'm currently using Inno Reader. I've used, I mean, a listing. I think I went through my you know, furl. Blog lines, Magnolia, Google Reader, <laughs> Feedly. Yes, I've gone through them all. Magnolia had two servers, and they both blew up on the same day. Mm. I lost every, I lost everything on, on that one. So, mm. so, but just some way in which you can automate bringing stuff in, and there's a whole bunch of different tools, if this then that, and, 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 and different different ones. But I think you want to have some way of bringing in your collected feeds of news and information and opinion. And if you can get that all into one place. So I think that's that that some type of thing to bring it in and some type of aggregation device. And, and there's a whole bunch of different ones now uh, that uh, I don't even know them all anymore. In terms of tools, though, do link to Jane Hart's um, uh, top tools uh, site. And uh, anybody who's listening on this, please participate in the poll, which finishes in September. She's always looking for what are your top tools for learning, as well explained on there. You'll put it on, on the link. So... The, yeah, for, so, so for seeking, it's, that's probably the big one is bringing that in. Uh, Twitter is, and LinkedIn are two networks I'm active on. Um, I left Facebook years ago because I don't like Mark Zuckerberg's business model. But those are places where I'm getting information because I'm connected to a lot of people. So I connect to people, I seek out different people, and then I have different ways of sort of filtering that through. And a lot of it, because I've been online long enough now, is I'm getting them through other people. People who are saying, hey, Harold, I think you'd like that. Mm. So those are sort of like the main seeking tools that I'm using. So, and the ones that I've used for, uh, I think, Twitter since 2007 and uh, aggregators since uh, 2000, 2000, I don't know, somewhere in there. So quite a while. <laughs> About tools for sense. Yeah, sense making is, again, it's the toughest one. And uh, I've used different ones, but I'm a blogger. My blog is where it all happens. It is the core of my processing. This is where I this is where I work out loud. This is where I learn out loud. That's the public sense making. Okay. I also have private sense making, right? So I'm an active member. You mentioned Slack. I'm active in several Slack communities that are private and we're not allowed to share without permission from everybody else. And we talk about some pretty uh, confidential things. It's also a place where we can talk about things like, uh, hey, I'm doing this contract with this company. How much should I charge them? That's not something I'm going to put on my blog. <laughs> <laughs> 
So internally are these communities, um, I'm using Zoom a lot now uh, with, uh, and Zoom also has um, long-term chat function. Um, so I have, a, I have a pro account. So I actually, we have a number of threaded discussion groups within Zoom that I have with, 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 with my uh, partners and colleagues uh, mm. around the world. So that's where I'm sort of doing, that's where I'm doing the, the raw stuff that doesn't even make it to the blog, uh, those kinds of ideas and things that circle around. Uh, in there. And then, yep, I would not really call Twitter a sense-making tool. LinkedIn isn't. So in terms of online sense-making, it would, it would be the blog. And then the thing is that, that you know, the, the blog become, uh, is the half-baked ideas, but then I'm doing now about every year is I'm taking all of my blog posts and I'm putting them into, a, into an ebook. Mm. Right, so I, I now have five of those out, and in there I'm trying to add a, another layer of value of putting this together, not just sort of sticking blog posts after each, but getting the themes together, researching it more, you know, really making it a coherent narrative as it goes through. So that would sort of be the higher, the higher level of that. My public speaking and my client work is the other part in terms of sense making. Right, is that I'm I'm taking notes, I'm going to conferences, I'm putting this stuff together. And then I'm I'm publishing it where where, where where is appropriate. So it's all those kinds of things. But really, for me, the core thing is the blog. And how about for the social bookmarks you had mentioned earlier? Right. Yeah, the social bookmarks. Yeah, they're kind of halfway between uh, seeking and sense making. Right. So social bookmarks. I currently use Digo. I've used other ones. Uh, um, there's other tools like Scoop It that people can use. But really, what it is is that when I come across something, yeah, I do a quick, pretty quick triage. I come across something. Is it interesting? I may tweet it uh, because, and then I add a uh, the heart to the tweet because I review my 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 favorites every two weeks, writing up my little Friday's finds. Uh, so that's one. I may think, no, this is a long term keeper, and that's where I'll use a social bookmark. Why? Because it's now findable and searchable. And I think there's lots of different videos and stuff on how to use social bookmarks. Yeah, the first step in PKM with people who are, really don't know about this stuff, as I say, first thing you want to do is free your bookmarks use a social bookmark system, even if it's private, doesn't really matter. So that's where it's shareable, but you don't have to share. So you can make all of them private, but now you can access them from multiple computers, right? And if these are things for you professionally, do you want to keep them on, you know, an institutional computer that maybe you don't have six months, 12 months down the road? So yeah, so the bookmarking is a great repository. You know, what I always suggest is at least clip the most important part of what you think was in that article. So I, I read an article, I save it into my bookmark, I put a clip in there, I may then add a comment, this would be good for this, this, and this, and then I add the metadata, the tags, right? So, I'll, you know, social media, learning, knowledge, whatever, and don't worry about what those tags are because over time you'll figure them out and straighten them out. So use use as many as possible. And a good friend of mine who's in one of my private communities of practice is Thomas Vanderwall. If you know Thomas, Thomas was the fellow who coined the term folksonomy. So folksonomy as opposed to a taxonomy is the aggregate people tagging things, right? And then we see, oh, everybody's using this term. This is now going to be the term that we use. <laughs> so a folksonomy is a, is a bottom-up taxonomy developed by people interacting with knowledge. I really appreciate you saying that, of course, because it agrees with my current practice. So we always love those things, but but also because it can be fixed. I mean, every tool I've ever used, I could merge two tags together and problem solve. So we just get the tag in there and worry about it later if it's not you know perfectly matched. You put an S on one and you didn't put an S on the other. You can correct that later on. 
And yeah, I mean, that's the, it's the, it's the whole notion of knowledge flow as opposed to creating these fully baked products. And, and that's the big challenge, I think, for a lot of people is, oh, no, I, you know, because, you know, we have to have the, you know, the, the perfect PowerPoint ready for the boss to sign off, as opposed to, I got like these 50 different things that, yeah, they're kind of crappy right now, but, you know, give me half a day and I can put them all together. Mm-hmm. Right. What yeah. about tools for sharing? Yeah, tools for sharing is I usually look at, you know, where people are and actually the best tool for sharing would be Facebook, but just for, for personal and ethical reasons, I don't use Facebook. Just came out that 84% of Canadians are on Facebook. So mm-hmm. I'm one of the 16% that aren't. <laughs> but if you if the tools you use for sense making are shareable, then the sharing part's kind of taken care of. So if I write my personal narrative on my blog. It's automatically shareable. People can subscribe to the RSS feed. People can subscribe by email. They can find it through Google, all that kind of stuff. So I've made it shareable. So I think a, a lot of cases, it's and we talked about earlier, is it's not so much about the sharing as being ready to share when the moment arrives. I've done this many times. People, when Jane Hart and I work together, and we'll be sitting with a client, and uh, they'll be talking about this some subject or something like that, and then she'll just sort of go. <gasps> I'm sure Harold has written a blog post on that subject. (laughs) (laughs) And I go, yeah, I think so. (laughs) So the the whole notion of having the stuff out there so that when the moment arrives, you've got something. This is the point in the show where we each get to share some recommendations. And I just wanted to mention that the social bookmarking tool that I like a lot is actually not very social. In fact, the founder designed it such that it wasn't that you oh. don't, you don't set up groups on it. You don't. You, I mean, people can come see. And if anyone that visited my page, anything I've chosen to have public, be public can be. But it's not like a social network in and of itself. And and so it's called Pinboard. It's Pinboard. Oh, yes. In. And the reason I like it is just that it's such a simpler interface just to look at. It's you've got a cloud of tags, and the cloud, of course, if I use a tag more, that word appears larger in the cloud. And so you could visually go there and see, you know, which of her bookmarks does she save more things about than others. But it because Digo, I like a lot. But right now, when I'm having my doctoral students use it, they like it because they like to highlight things and the annotation and it stays. But it's so cluttered visually, and particularly because they that's how they fund their business model. So there's a lot of advertising up there, and they get confused between when am I being advertised to and when am I just is that a bookmark that I actually saved? I, I do like Digo a lot. I recommend it a lot. In fact, that's what I recommend because I try to have them not have to pay for too many things when they're just testing them out. But Pinboard is great because of its simplicity. And then my last recommendation, I'll pass it over to Harold, is he mentioned Jane Hart's top tools list. This would be a great way for you to to make some sense of some of the tools that you use and also to share them. She does it every year. I can't remember how many years she's been doing it. Uh, but 11. Yeah, so... Go, just just write a you could write a quick blog post, but she even just has a form you can fill out. I mean, she makes it very, yep. very easy to compile your list. And it's so fun every year to see what the tallied results are. Yeah. And Jane um, uh, actually goes through every individual contribution. Yeah, it's phenomenal. personally. So it's this is hand curated, as they as they say, mm. it's it's a it's a really valuable uh, resource. Um, and that's what it's an ex- one of the exercises I do. Uh, the PKM workshop is I get people to go to Jane's site, take a look at the top tools, and select one that they never used. And then I want you to test it out, and I want you to tell people what you think about it. 
<laughs> so. Wonderful. Well, Harold, what do you have to recommend for us today? Okay. First of all, you, you talked about Digo. And one thing that I recommend is that when you, there's nothing wrong with testing out free tools, but if the tool is useful, pay for it. Mm. I've gone through so many of these systems that have gone bankrupt, right? Is that uh, these people need to make money, so pay for them. And uh, so I, I pay for Digo. And so I don't get the advertisements and stuff like that. And I pay for I pay for Inno Reader, which is my aggregator, and the rest of them. So the, uh, that would be the number one thing: is that is it get something that requires you to pay for it, and then get the uh, the better quality. I have a tool that I recommend to everybody, and I was able even to get my wife using it. And it's not a learning tool. It's not a seek sense sharing tool. It's a make my life way easier tool. And it's a password manager. Uh, so I, I use one password, which is the number one password. It's a, it's a Canadian company that's been around for a number of years, pretty stable. And what it does is it lets me generate passwords and it, uh, uh, I, I have them in these vault, secure vaults uh, on, on all of my computers. And so I now have a unique 20 digit or so password for every single site that I, that, that I use. Well, I log out, I log in. It just finds it click, 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 and I've logged into the system and, and I'm good to go. I, so, I, so I only remember one password, which is the master password to get into that. That has made my, my life so much easier when Yahoo for the 15th time in a row says, oh, you know, our database has been compromised. I just go in, generate new password. It's different from any other password. So I have, so I, I have much more resilience in, in that system. If you look at most of these hacks and uh, dumps that have happened, is that quite not like these celebrities who, you know, nude photos have been found that they were sharing on whatever system it was, is that if you actually take a look at what password they were using, you can go like, uh-huh, that was just dumb, right? Mm -hmm. And this way is it, is it, I mean, let a machine make your password because it's a machine that's going to try to break it. And I don't think any human can build a password that's, that, that's as good. Plus, I don't have to think about mm -hmm. it. I click, I take, you know, <laughs> and, and, you, know what, what, you know, when you go to the site and, and, and it says, oh, it has to be eight characters and this and this and this, you just go click, 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 click. You set your parameters yep. and go generate a new one. Yep. I mean, why does anybody want to be generating their own passwords? It's just, it's just crazy. But, but it took like six months of my friend to beat on my head and say, Harold, you got to do oh, this. Oh, yeah. So I, I think for me, that's, that's, that's the tool that I think is number one. Well, Harold, it has been such a pleasure getting to talk to you in person. And I can see your face too here on Zoom, which we're using today for the session. And I'm just so honored to get to talk to you and get to know you a little bit more. And thank you so much for all of your work. It's been my pleasure. Thanks very much. I hope we can get some clients coming your way. And I would love to yeah. see undergraduate programs adopt this model and, and get this happening yeah. with, as you said, not just with master's levels, but with our students just as they come in. Imagine the power of that. Yeah, I've got a lot on PK Mastery on the blog. And anybody wants to take the workshops, I run them. Next one starting 16th of July, I think. So we run, and it's kind of neat because it's a, it, it's people from all over the world. So it's kind of nice that you get diverse opinions there too. It's been wonderful to talk to you. What an honor it has been to be able to talk to Harold Jarkey today. I'm so grateful for his contribution, of course, not just to this episode, but truly to my life, to my lifelong learning. Thank you so much for joining us today as a guest, Harold, and thank you for your blog, for your prolific presence in this space of trying to navigate complex systems in a complex world. 
Thanks to all of you for listening. If you have yet to subscribe to the weekly email, that'll keep you up to date on the links. I've got so many links on this particular episode with... Harold Jarkey went a little crazy taking notes. And if you want to not have to remember to go to the episode notes, but get them in your inbox, you can just go to teachinginhighered.com slash subscribe. You'll get a single email and that'll help you stay up to date. Thanks for listening and I'll see you next time. 